0: Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, a DEI primer from the Army Inspector General's office. It's Thursday, November 17th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. The number one CRM, Salesforce Customer 360 for Public Sector, is an integrated platform for public services. It features relationship management, case management, and lots more. You can learn more at salesforce.com slash government. Today, a special program on diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's a primary item on the Biden administration's agenda, and it was the subject of this month's lunch event that FCA DC hosted at the Army Navy Country Club in Arlington on Wednesday. My thanks to FCA DC for inviting me to be a part of it. My guest on stage was Major General Mitchell Kilgo, Deputy to the Inspector General of the Army. Our conversation began with a discussion of where the military is today and where it's come from on DEI issues.
1: Let me just start by saying this is a great opportunity to come and talk about a, a critical topic. I think is very, uh, very important. So thanks to AFSIA for uh, hosting and, and, and doing this, and thank you all for being here today. Uh, and I'm, I'm really, as Francis said, use that code because uh, I'm really interested in your questions, and uh, it, at least I can offer you my perspective on things. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll start this way. Um, this, this topic, uh, from my point of view, from the day I entered the Army way back in January of 88, of uh, the fact that we're having these type of discussions now I think is powerful. Uh, when I joined the Army and at least maybe two decades of that time timeframe, uh, we didn't have these types of conversations. When we had them, we had them off on their side or, or in, in some other tight closed form. We didn't come out and uh, embrace DEI and talk about diversity and inclusion. So the simple fact that we're having conversations about this topic Internal to the Department of Defense, as well as outside of the Department of Defense, is powerful, because what it adds is a sense of transparency. It makes the topic visible. It's no longer taboo to come and talk about diversity and inclusion. As a as a very young officer uh, coming into the Army, you know, I, I some days I kind of felt by myself. Right. my first my first organization uh, of the 44 officers in there, I was one of four black officers uh, in the organization. There were no other minorities uh, in, uh, in leaders key leadership positions on the officers side. And so as you can imagine uh, in a large infantry regiment and you're just getting started, it's kind of hard to find yourself and relate. Um, but one of the officers in that organization it just so happened that, uh, I graduated from high school with his sister that <laughs> I knew his baby brother. We're both from Newport News. And so um, that was somebody to help me. And we, we had great discussions. And he just helped, helped me get through that first year mm-hmm. uh, of being in the service until I could, you know, get to other places and see the, the broader Army. Um, but we've come a long way since then. And to your question, we're on the right path. Um, we, we may be a little late <laughs> getting here, but as I highlighted, the fact that we're here and, and that is a a good conversation, a broad conversation is important because the Army represents a society, right? Um, and if you just look at the Army and, and how we're made up, uh, society is made up that same way. And, and the way I view it is, it's more concentrated in the Army because we're not as big as the 320 million people that live in the country. We're a uh, million-person Army. And so we have more opportunities to deal with diversity face-to-face. You know, the background that I come from or you come from or another person comes from, we're forced in a foxhole together. Uh, And it's what I think makes us great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the army evolves. Uh, and in some cases, I think we evolve faster than society does because I've always viewed the army as a proven ground when it comes to bringing people of different backgrounds together. And after a little while, you know, uh, we do very well together because uh, it's about building teams, effective teams, because we are a profession of arms. We can't ever forget that. Uh, and if we allow divisiveness into our ranks, we struggle when we have to fight for the nation. Mm-hmm.
0: When you had those conversations early in, in your career that were kind of off to the side, they were not transparent, uh, almost secretive from the way you described them. Uh, what was how has the tenor of those conversations differed between those and now the transparent, open conversations, yeah. the dialogue that's happening today.
1: So I'll give you this perspective. So uh, coming through the basic course, uh, uh, my TAC uh, in the basic course was a uh, 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 African American captain, a combat arms guy. And one of the things he would always, Tell the young black officers, oh, okay, when there'd be a group of us together just kind of hanging out, because, you know, that's, that's kind of what we did. You know, you gravitate to what you know and your comfort level. And he would always bust in and said, hey, okay, two-man rule. Okay, and the first time you asked, what, what in the world is a two-man rule? Uh, but what he told us was, hey, uh, okay, if there's more than two of you all together, then that's not a good optic. Right? That didn't sit well with me, but that was the optic. Okay, what are you planning? What are you up to kind of deal? That was his view. He was a very senior captain at the time. He was a captain promotable, but that was maybe where the Army was at that time. Mm -hmm. And you fast forward to uh, a couple of years ago when the current Chief of Staff of the Army, General McConville, uh, came in, and one of the first things he said was, people first. Yeah, the number one uh, priority is you know winning wars for this nation and protecting the nation. However, uh, our focus is people first and that introduced project inclusion. And what I did as a two-star commander was in large forms and very small forms begin to have discussions about diversity and inclusion with the workforce, very open, very transparent, uh, not in a tight corner in a small room, but wide open. I did town halls at Aberdeen Proving Ground with the entire community, all 28,000 of them. And we talked about diversity and inclusion, especially a town hall that was, I would say, tense, uh, following the uh, uh, the death of George Floyd. Uh, and so we immediately got out there and had that discussion Uh, And I wound up writing a small article for the paper uh, at Aberdeen because of uh, an event that we had that was happening on the net with members of the community that was not good. Uh, Very divisive. uh, uh, And so I scheduled a town hall so we could talk about that and just open and invited people, send your questions. And I'll, I'll tell you what I think so that if this is the view of some outside the gates of Aberdeen Proving Ground, it won't be the vision inside. So it's, it's getting after the culture that we need to change or needed to change at that time where everybody felt so emboldened, emboldened to talk about very divisive things that were harmful to us. Uh, and so that's just you know kind of from the start, and as we got to the end, and those conversations were very welcoming, very inviting. Uh, I got some comments that made me sit back in my yep. seat, or some questions that, you know, made me go, "Whoa, okay, we still got some hurdles mm-hmm. to, to to jump over." Uh, but the way I looked at it was, you know, maybe a decade ago, you would have never asked your senior commander that mm-hmm. question uh, at a public forum but now you are, which means you're willing to talk about it. And then uh, I can address it, but not only can I address it, everybody that's listening can now address uh, that thought Mm -hmm. and get in on the conversation. And I just think it makes us better.
0: That goes back to the word that you used a few moments ago that seems to be an important theme, not just in what you've talked about so far, but in every conversation I've had people in government, people out of government, whatever, about this issue, and that's transparency, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Why is that such a critical component of this, General?
1: Because it, it is the, one of the fundamental foundations of trust, right? We, we have to trust uh, one another. And, and when I say trust, that doesn't mean we have to agree, right, we can always agree to disagree. Uh, and because we come from different places, we're going to have different views. But again, if you're transparent in how you're approaching and thought, and sometimes as a senior leader, what you want me to do sometimes is listen. Listen. Open your ears. Close your mouth. Use one of those other senses and listen to what I have to say uh, because I might introduce a perspective to you that you never thought about before. And it may, as a senior leader, force me to go back and challenge some of my own beliefs, some of my own biases. Because you, you have to be honest, when you walk in the door, everybody comes into, at least from our point, the Department of Defense or the Army, with some biases. And it's fundamentally based on your background, right? Uh, I grew up in predominantly black neighborhoods. I'm a graduate of a historically black college and university. Uh, my intermediate school and high school was about uh, 60-40, uh, 60% white, 40% minority. But every other school outside of kindergarten and first grade that I went to was 85% black. Okay. And so you have to, I, I came and I admittedly, I have to say, yeah, I came in Army with some biases. Um, but through serving and through meeting and identifying with other people, through my own uh, upbringing uh, from a, a single mom, parents divorced when I was five, raised three of us, uh, and the focus was always judge people for who they are, not what they look like or what they believe in, right? We all have a judge, and it ain't here, Yeah, that's right? right? It's the Almighty. It's going to judge us, so we don't need to judge anybody else, uh, so... You know, if you treat people with kindness, you'll get kindness in return. If you open your aperture and open your ears, you'll begin to learn about people and what drives people. And, and that again, that helps us, it makes us better. And, and it's just, my view has always been, it's productive, right, and it allowed me to wipe away biases that I had when I entered and begin to engage people to challenge some of their biases Uh, and seek the same things that I was, right? That's what makes us a powerful country. It's what makes uh, our services, what makes our army better because without that, we lose a decisive advantage, right? And and that's just a firm belief of mine.
0: That's excellent. Um, One of the reasons I love this audience, General, is the questions are already, you listen well, you take orders well. (laughs) Questions are already coming in, so keep them coming. One of the things I wanted to ask you about before I I start going to the questions, because I'll do that in a second, there are a bunch already, Um, what's your sense of progress specifically that the service, and I know you can speak to the Army, um, that the Army is making on building that pipeline, especially in uniform, a lot made of uh, how they're changing promotion boards Mm -hmm. and so on. Do you see that that's working, that that's achieving the desired results?
1: Yeah, so I, I think the, the Army in particular has, has been uh, establishing the legacy, if you will, the pipeline, uh, that we're doing pretty good. We can always do better. And I, and I think it starts, this, this particular aspect starts with education, right, and how we educate leaders. And, and when I say leaders, I'm just not talking about folks like me that has been fortunate enough to put a star on their chest. All right. I'm talking educating leaders at every echelon uh, that we serve in, military as well as civilian. Because you know, being a communicator, uh, a lot of the organizations that I've had the opportunity to serve in, there's just as many civilians as there are military. And, and one of the things we always say is, hey, leverage the civilians that are there, because I've been mentored by a lot of civilians. Leverage them because that's the continuity of the, of the uh, organization. But what I found at a young age, and what I would tell you is, yes, leverage, but also challenge and trust and verify. Uh, Because as green suitors, we rotate, right? So I may learn something here, touch some leaders here, and I'll take that with me to the next organization and bring that to help change. Uh, We've got some folks that's been in the same organization for 25, 30 years. I've served for almost 35 years now And we have organizations where on the civilian side, they've been in that place for 35, 40 years, right? So how much change is really sprinkled into that organization when you talk about changing the culture uh, of an army or of a service, or if you're on the other side of a company. And so, you know, people evolving, bringing different experiences also helps you generate and change culture. So as a leader, one of the things that I find that, you know, embrace, but also challenge and educate those folks as well, right? Because simply because you've been doing something for 30 years doesn't make you a great leader. Uh, If you've moved up in the ranks, it says you really know how to manage, but it doesn't necessarily say you really know how to lead, right? And when you get to that point, You're now beginning into, you have organizational leadership, right, and there's education. Army gives you education to help you get to that point, and you have personal leadership, right? And sometimes the Army helps you with that aspect, but that's really you digging in, getting to know your folks, what drives them, where their weaknesses are, where you need to educate them more, right? how you bring them into the fold. So the combination of those two things and educating folks on that becomes very powerful. And Army says, I want you to mentor, right? I want you to mentor. We have programs that uh, says we're gonna mentor and every organization that I've walked, to, walked in has had a mentorship program. But if you're on a receiving end of that, you sit back and you think, how do I, how do I get a mentor? Right, when you and I talk, I told you. uh, My my first mentor was a six-foot-six white guy from South Carolina. What was I looking for? I was looking for, you know, a black officer that could help and teach me how to manage the environment that I was in. But at the time, and very early on, remember I talked about the two-man rule, Mm -hmm. I didn't have one that was willing to attach to me. Right? I just didn't. But... What I found in this particular mentor uh, was someone who didn't look like me, but we had a lot of things in common, right? And I immediately knew he cared Mm -hmm. because he was the first person in the Army. Now think about this, again, big dude, (laughs) South Carolina was the first person to have a conversation with me about race in the military. Right? I didn't get that from somebody that looked like me or, or another minority. I got that from him. It immediately generated a sense of trust and I could talk to him about anything. Uh, and like other mentors that eventually uh, that I uh, got that looked like me, they're family, right, they're, they're family. And so that's what you, that's what you want in, in mentorship. So I, I tell our youngsters, um, You know, if you are a brand new lieutenant or a young sergeant or a warrant officer, one or two, uh, okay, I'm I'm a major general now. I can teach you, but there's a lot of space between where you are and where I am, and a lot of things changed since I was at that level. But I'm gonna connect you to somebody that can help you, and I'm gonna help you find some coaches, I'm gonna help you find some mentors, And and from a sponsorship standpoint, I'll sponsor you, but I'm going to give you some coaches and teachers and maybe tie you to a mentor uh, that's not going to soon retire, that's going to be around to help you through your walk, because you're going to learn from them, you're going to learn from your own experiences, and they may not ever open a door for you, but they're going to empower you with knowledge that are going to help you be successful. Right, or before you make that decision, somebody that you're comfortable reaching out and talking to, and saying, "Hey, sir, hey, ma'am, what do you think about that?" Before I jump off this cliff, give me some perspective on this first, and then you listen, and then you. I always tell them, "Now you make your own decision. Mm -hmm. Don't do it because Kilgore said do it. Trust your gut. Yeah. Right. But just take in what I give you, and I always also say, now I want you to call so and so and have a conversation." Uh, with them. And you don't have to tell them you talk to me, but you call and get that perspective and then get to the place where you think you need to be and make that decision.
0: Your first mentor, 6'6 South Carolina guy, what can someone who's in his shoes today, or what can someone like me learn from that exchange? How did he approach you? How did he signal to you, this is okay? I want to be transparent. Yeah. I want to have these conversations, and I want yeah. to give you opportunities.
1: Yeah. So, so the first thing—that's funny. <laughs> so the first thing he told me, you know, he was a basketball player in, in college. I was a football player in college. I was very brash. I was, uh, uh, you know, in the places where I grew up, I leveraged being six one, you know, two hundred and fifteen pounds and muscular. I leveraged that. That was the first thing I used was my physical characteristics, right? Um, and he grabbed me and he said, hey man, you know, you got a lot of talent and potential, but one, you, you, you need to control that temper uh, and and you gotta calm down a little bit. You, you gotta calm down. We, we need to woo-saw you. You know, we didn't have woosah then, but that's what he told me. He said, hey, uh, I, I see a lot of me in you and uh, I'm gonna pull that out of you because if you don't adjust how you are sometimes, um, you're not gonna survive. And, and, and the main thing was if you said something to me that I really didn't care for, you could tell, right? You could tell. Those folks who know me, Rick Pena out there, knows what do I do, Rick? I smile all the time, don't I? Right? That's one of the things he taught me. He said, hey, you have a great smile and I don't know about that laughter, right? <laughs> but what he told me was, use your smile so that people can't read when you're disappointed, right? And, and, uh, and so he, that, that's one of the things he forced me for the first time to really look at, what message am I, am I sending off? And every time throughout the years that I made a mistake when I wasn't happy with my team. I'm not a yeller, not a screamer. I became very mellow and But you knew when I was not happy and every time somebody had a complaint about me on those days was they would come back and say, and I would ask, okay, so what did I say that was bad? So you didn't say anything bad, but you looked very intimidating. Right. And and so that put me in check. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's not the message I want to send because I want to be warm and inviting. And if. That was received as, you know, here comes this this big black dude and this is how I feel. Because they they don't hear what I said at mm-hmm. that point. So that aspect of mentorship, leadership, you know, you got to go back and recheck yourself. But it's all about having someone as well that will come back to you and say and feel okay with saying, hey, sir, can I talk to you? Mm-hmm. And you actually listen to what they say and then adjust uh based upon that. Um so that that's where we started. Uh and that's how he kinda forced me to again look at myself. Cause he could have he could have did everything in the world for me to help me get started. And if I didn't listen to him or take that to heart and force the change in myself, yep. it wouldn't have made one one bit of difference. A ton
0: of knowledge and no action. Yeah. E- exactly. You've laid out four things that I want to come back to later in the conversation, but I made a big deal about these questions, so I want to start asking them from the audience. What's the biggest obstacle in recruiting and retaining diversity in the hybrid and remote work environment, or is it an advantage for businesses as opposed to government and and military in particular, Um, since the lack of access to transportation might have been an obstacle in the past to attract talent in remote areas?
1: Yeah, I, I would say the advantage and COVID helped us along this way, right? Um I think it proved to us as a profession that there are things that we can do without being in an office. Um and if everybody buys in, um you can be pretty productive with that. Um I, I will tell you personally, I've I've never been a telework advocate, right? I've always had a telework policy, though, because I realize that's something that must exist uh, when you look at your workforce holistically, but I've never personally liked it. But again, that's my personal feelings, and the Army doesn't have place for me in my personal feelings, right? It's about the team. And so I've always pushed that off to the side. But it did prove to me that, you know, everybody on my team doesn't need to be here. When I'm talking about the total workforce. Now, I'm a soldier and I've got some beliefs. And when it comes to the green suitors, oh yeah, you need to be here. Because we go as a team goes, and presence, leadership requires presence. And when leaders aren't present, um, you miss a whole lot of things. And you know, when it's time to deploy. You know, we, we deploy with military green suitors and uh, civilians, but the civilians don't go past a line of troops. Green suitors do. And so that bond that you create, that sense of trust, that how we work with one another, you can't do that virtually. Kilgold doesn't believe. Uh, you can probably do that on a business side, but in a profession of arms, you can't. And so I think it's a good balance. And I think having a hybrid approach uh, to accomplishing your mission makes sense. And I think that the department learned a lot from that. I walk around the Pentagon now, you know, you know when I was stationed there from 2006 to, to eight, it was like new zoo review. You couldn't walk uh, three feet without bumping into somebody you knew or slipping over, slipping and sliding. You know, I go into office now and there are like six people on that whole corridor where the IG, the surgeon general, uh, and the judge advocate is. And it's just but we're getting work done. So it's different and it's a new culture that we've gotta embrace. But I but I think as long as we stick to a hybrid approach. Um, and stay open-minded that this does work, and we can execute business this way uh, that uh, will be successful.
0: Uh, next audience question: I believe I believe the DoD is still male-heavy in senior positions. Anecdotally, I personally heard from female officers who were harassed, passed over, had terrible negative experiences from white male superiors, sometimes in the presence of coworkers. Have you heard similar stories, and what advice would you give the women who are still struggling? What can DOD do to address this issue?
1: That's a tough question, and, you know, so don't interpret what I say the wrong way. <laughs> the first thing that I would tell you is, look, the Army's a, and every service. We're learning organizations, um, so that's up front. We learn things as time passes and as conditions change, and sometimes we're slow to get there. I personally have never observed a negative situation um, that didn't go unchecked, because I was there, I checked it, right? But I know that it occurs, because I mentor uh, a lot of females, non-commissioned officers, warrants, and, and officers as well, uh, and so and I've given them advice on how to deal with these situations and in some points have engaged on their behalf to help and assist. Look, it, it happens. It absolutely does. And it's not something that we're proud that that happens internal to our ranks. Uh, and because we are uh, the Army or the Air Force or the Marine Corps or the Navy or the Space Force, uh, the, the microscope on it is much more magnified as a result because we represent something different. It happens outside the gates all the time uh, and it goes unchecked. But what what I will tell you is as a leader, I'm responsible for checking that behavior when I see it. Again, and it gets to the education. How do you educate leaders that this is not acceptable? All of us the ones in uniform, the ones outside of uniform, uh, our DOD contractors that we bring into the work, workplace, this is not acceptable. It gets to how do you change the culture of a force? It takes time. And so we're talking about DEI and i right now. We have policies now addressing it. And it is as we recruit and we retain talent, and this is a primary conversations that we're having, you're building that bridge that You know, if I had a daughter, my daughter may be experiencing this now, you know, as a young person in the service. Uh, But hopefully 10 years from now, because we're retaining the right folks, we're recruiting the right folks, we're educating the leadership appropriately, in 10 years, this becomes less of a problem. We will never eliminate it, right? Because some folks are raised very chauvinistic. And that's never going to change. And regardless of what I do for them, that's not going to change. And what I tell people is, you know, we're all volunteer force. You got a choice, right? And as a leader, I got a choice too. I'm going to help you find the door if you can't adjust to the culture and the climate that I want to create. And I have no problem having that conversation with you and telling you that. You got to go. You can't serve here that way. So change or find something else to do because that's your choice and that's your right. I'm not mad at you, mm-hmm. I don't dislike you, right? It's not a like business when it, when it comes to that, it's a profession and we can't allow that to exist. And so in your space, every leader, every echelon, you've got to check that, you've got to check that. And, and I mentor females and, and what I will tell you is for everyone that I mentor, I find a female to also mentor that soldier, because I can teach them a lot about leadership, my experiences. I can help them navigate some things. What I can't teach them is how to be a female in a pair of these boots, walking their walk every day. I can't do that. Uh, And so, and that's why when you have your team of mentors, coaches, uh, and teachers, your bench has to be diverse as well. So you get all those different perspectives that'll help you be your best. Uh, so it's unfortunate that we have these environments that still occur, these situations that occur. Uh, but I, I think that um, we take them seriously. Uh, and when we turn that rock over, we're doing something about it. And every leader who walks, walks past it, the old NCOs used to tell you, if you see a piece of trash uh, on the installation and walk past it, you just created a new standard. It's the same thing. When you see people being mistreated and you don't do something about it, uh, you just set a new standard for that organization. And once you do that, it's almost impossible to change it. So it's about getting to the culture uh, and helping that organization based on how you change that organization for the good, surviving the next bad leader. Because the next good leader is going to continue. But the next bad leader is coming around the corner. So how do you help that organization survive that next bad leader?
0: Uh, I think of all of the things that you said there, a lot of great stuff there, but the thing that jumped out at me is that it takes time, and it does take time, but that fact creates some of the tension that we find today because, rightfully, folks that are experiencing some of these things say, hey, wait a minute, this isn't right, and it shouldn't still be happening.
1: Yeah, yeah, again, this goes to... So if you bring me a problem, as a commander, I've always said, give me an opportunity to solve your problem. And I'm going to do my best to do that. And that means everything within my my realm, my power, I'm going to do that. The second thing I tell anybody who brings me a problem is there are also other steps that you can take, and I'm not going to take that personally. So you can go to EO, file a complaint. Go see the IG. I'm the deputy IG, at least for another two and a half weeks. (laughs) file a complaint. And I coach them on that as well. And so even if the complaint winds up being against me, I've never had an issue with telling somebody to do that. And those are the first two things I tell anybody that brings me anything because I want them to understand if I don't fix your problem or help your situation, you have other means because we have procedures in place for you to right the wrong that you felt mm-hmm. is done to you. And then you can take that path as well. Uh, and most of the time I've been able to assist. And sometimes I've had folks that said, hey, sir, thanks. That's not enough. I'm taking this route. I don't look at them differently. I don't treat them differently. Uh, and if I find out the leadership is reprising as, as a result of that, I've gone after that leadership. And I, and I just think we, everybody should do that. Because these programs exist for a reason, and it's to clean out our ranks.
0: Major General Mitchell Kilgo, Deputy to the Inspector General of the Army, at Wednesday's FCA DC event on diversity, equity, and inclusion. You can read more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Salesforce is the connected platform that powers government health services. Salesforce helps public entities engage with their health constituents on a single intelligent platform to improve care outcomes from anywhere. You can learn more at sfdc.co/psh the daily scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms if you don't want to miss a show you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on apple Podcasts, spotify google podcasts or wherever else you get your shows and on any device you get your shows and if you really like the daily scoop podcast leave us a five-star rating and a review it'll help more people find the show the daily scoop podcast is a production of the scoop news group in washington dc james mahoney and carlin fisher helped me put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop Podcast returns. More of my conversation with General Kilgo tomorrow. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.